You're listening to the Quince podcast. Today we've had a national tragedy. Two airplanes have crashed into the World Trade Center in an apparent terrorist attack on our country. I have spoken to the Vice President, to the Governor of New York, to the Director of the FBI, and I've ordered that the full resources of the federal government go to help the victims and their families and, the, and to conduct a full-scale investigation to hunt down and to find those folks who committed this act. Terrorism against our nation will not stand. And now if you join me in a moment of silence. September 11, 2001. There was so much destruction, loss and despair that even 20 years later, it is hard to comprehend the magnitude of its impact. What has been described as the largest military attack ever to hit the United States. Everything from books, TV shows, movies, news reports have tried to capture the scale of the tragedy which took place. On that horrific day, four commercial flights travelling to California were hijacked by 19 Al-Qaeda terrorists. What transpired in less than an hour was a devastating hit on the symbols of America's military might, intelligence, political power and its financial centre. The attacks resulted in nearly 3,000 deaths, over 25,000 injuries, long-term health effects, a global recession, a fundamental shift in US foreign policy and a 20-year forever war in Afghanistan which set the country in an unfathomable future where now a terrorist organisation is running it. On the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attack, we bring you first-hand accounts of three people who covered and responded to these attacks. In this episode, you'll hear from Maya Mirchandani, the former senior foreign affairs editor at NDTV, who covered the attack on the ground, Sudhindra Kulkarni, aide to former Prime Minister Atal Bihari Vajpayee, and Sanjay Pagalia, the editorial director at The Quint. You're tuned in to The Big Story, the podcast where we dissect the headline-making news for you, and I'm your host, Himmat. The first plane, American Airlines Flight 11, hit the North Tower of the World Trade Center at 8.46am on a bright and sunny September day, followed by United Airlines Flight 175 hitting the South Tower. Both towers collapsed within two hours of impact. The other two flights, American Airlines Flight 77, crashed into the side of the US Pentagon, resulting in the partial collapse of the building, and the fourth flight, United Airlines Flight 93 was flown in the direction of Washington, D.C., with the intended target being either the White House or the U.S. Capitol building, and was the only flight to miss its target. Maya Mirchandani was visiting family in New York and was on her annual leave when the attack occurred and was less than a kilometre away from the World Trade Center when the first plane hit. She describes the eerie silence which enveloped the bustling city for hours, only to be interrupted with police sirens, ambulances racing across town, and screams of people looking for help as the two towers collapsed right before her. So, I remember the day very vividly, actually, even today. It was a very bright, blue September morning. Um, Mm. I was visiting family, so I had been in the U.S. uh, since August end, I think. I was was working with NDTV even then, and, uh, you know, I was on my annual leave uh, to spend time with my family. My grandmother still lives in in New York. She's 99. And um, I was uh, actually, it's quite funny. I was in the shower, uh, so I didn't know what had happened. 
I I got a phone call from Delhi from the newsroom. Um, it was Shivnath Chukral, who was in NDTV as well in those days, and to say, and this was this was between uh, the two uh, buildings being attacked. It was just after the first building was attacked. It was the South Tower, mm-hmm. right, eight forty six or eight forty seven a.m. Right. So this was after that, and I got a call from Shivnath to say, uh, "Hey, what are you doing? Can you just check? There's some news coming in about." one of the towers of the world trade center being struck by a plane mm-hmm. and um i was staying actually walking distance from the world trade center i was below 14th street in manhattan on the west side mm-hmm. so i was about a mile 20 blocks maybe from the world trade center mm-hmm. and um, maybe 18 blocks something like that and um i said my first reaction was some you know, amateur pilot doesn't know how to fly a plane has gone and crashed because mm-hmm. so I uh, ran out, I put on the TV, I saw the images and it struck me as, okay, that's not a small plane. And then I uh, tried to make some phone calls and in the interim, it probably the, you know, 18 minutes between the two strikes must have elapsed by this time because... Mm-hmm. My brother, who worked on Wall Street at that time and was visiting my grandmother, where she stays, um, had driven back into the city and uh, was parking his car, you know, uh, on the street of the building where I was. Mm -hmm. And he says that he had heard on the radio that one of the towers had been hit. So as he was you know, turning off the ignition and getting out of the car, he mm-hmm. sort of looked up at the sky. And we're talking about a direct clear view going south. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Hudson Street in Manhattan, uh, where you can see the towers, you know, tower, in any case, they would be mm-hmm. to tower above everybody and everything. Yeah. So even if you were amongst tall buildings, you would have seen them. But that part of New York City does not have very tall buildings. Mm-hmm. You know, so he says that he looked up at the sky to see what was going on. And as he looked up, he saw the second plane strike. And he ran up the stairs. And by this time, I was trying to talk on, you know, on the phone with Delhi, put on the news. Uh, But in all this, I mean, you know, we went up, basically my brother ran up and we stood, we opened the window of the living room of the Mm -hmm. apartment I was in and got onto the fire escape. And um, because that was on the street, I was outside and I could see it all. And basically, we were—I was on the fire escape with my brother, maybe till about uh, I don't know, eleven forty-five, twelve mm. in the afternoon. The, I, I want to say that both towers must have come down by about eleven thirty in the mm. morning. Um, you know, I think people have a um, have a strange way of processing. Mm stuff that's going on around them that they can't comprehend. And I mean, you know, it was incomprehensible that these two massive steel and cement structures Mm -hmm. had been hit and there were flames sort of lashing out from their upper floors. You know, my brother, we we saw people jump out with our own eyes. I mean, I I didn't watch it on TV. So I think Mm -hmm. what you need to know is that I did not watch this on TV. I watched it live with my own eyes standing on the fire escape my brother and i were trying to kind of make sense of it you know who could have done this what happened Hmm. uh and then 
at some point, you know, when TV started saying this is a clear terrorist Al-Qaeda attack, it was very surreal because you were you were seeing something happen mm-hmm. in front of you, but you were detached from that scene because you weren't trapped and trying to get out. Yeah. And you were so horrified that your emotional responses were kind of suspended. Mm-hmm. So you were having every bizarre conversation in the world. Um, everything from, did you speak to so-and-so person or did they try and call you? Because, you know, and Delhi was calling in the middle of all this. And I kept saying, I don't know what information you want me to give. I'm standing in front of a fire escape and I can only tell you what I see. But what yeah. I can see, you can see on TV as well. So, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. by this time on the streets, actually crowds had begun to gather. Uh, you know, everything that was not of ground zero and therefore not in the immediate half mile vicinity or maybe quarter of a mile vicinity radius of the World Trade Center, people had begun to gather on the street. Yeah. Because everybody was on the street looking up at the sky. And then when the first tower fell, I think it was just like, at that point, you just, I mean, it was, Hmm. Whiskey Tango Fox start to the power yeah. of 10,000. And so when the tower fell, uh, I remember my brother and I got into an even more inane conversation uh, as though we were like construction engineers mm-hmm. and said, okay, well, maybe because that was hit in the middle of the building, uh, it's not been able to withstand the heat and something and something. I don't know what we were, yeah. we were thinking. We were just kind of making this up in our heads. Uh-huh. You know, having some conversation on architectural integrity of steel and cement mm-hmm. because it's been struck, like, say, midway between the building around the 90th floor yeah. or the 80th floor as opposed to the 104th floor mm-hmm. uh, of the South Tower, right? But we're all having this conversation and we're seeing the crowd kind of fill up onto the street uh, as well. But yeah. then the second tower fell as well. And, I mean, do you know what the sound of silence is? In the moment Mm -hmm. when the towers fell and the crowds were on the street, so New York is long, it's narrow, and it's got high buildings on either side of every street, Mm -hmm. which means that everything travels through a tunnel, right? The buildings form tunnels. So when it's really cold, there's a wind tunnel. What happened on 9-11 were like tunnels of sounds and screams and oh my God and... Oh, just like exclamation, right? Mm-hmm. That traveled from south to north of the island all the way. And then there was silence. And then there was like just silence. She recounts how just within a day, a new layer of suspicion fell on people of color in the city and how in the era of pre-smartphone and social media, she captured the horrors of the tragedy. You know... I, I mean, I don't know what to say, but I think like there's an instinct that kicked in, which was to basically say, I'm, I'm reporting, I'm talking, I'm taking the calls from Delhi, I'm relaying to them what I'm seeing. Hmm. It was really weird because, you know, I was an Indian journalist sitting, happened to be there on, on a break yeah. at that point in time, visiting family. And I got, I got like swept up in hmm. this, right? It was just, you know, fate that, that, that puts you in that spot on that day. Delhi was obviously very keen that I hit the ground running mm. and I report. They said that, you know, go and buy this, go and buy that. So I got a list of equipment and I walked into, I said, okay, I'll try if the store is open. 
I'll see. But you know, we didn't have a sense yeah. of what would be open the next day. Perfect. What was open, um, even on 9-11, were bars in the city. And so two things happened, which is that my cousin is tall, dark, has a beard, curlyish hair, mm-hmm. you know, look possibly Middle Eastern, not Telugu. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, he and my brother around like lunchtime, I mean, uh, yeah, lunchtime, one o'clock, two o'clock, whatever, decided I was still standing on the fire escape, had gone in and they said, you know, we're going to go just take a walk around the block um, and see what's happening on the street because we were on the fire escape. We hadn't gone to the street, um, you know, and um, they said that they, this is that, what they told me. They went into a bar just on uh, below the building, I think maybe mm. one or two doors below the building. And uh, everybody who was there turned around to give my cousin like this once over, you know, because suddenly you're like not just any New Yorker, but you're a tall, brown skinned, bearded man. And it seems to be that, you know, brown skinned, bearded guys are the ones who've done this. So there's immediately that layer of tension that's got in. And so I went down, I said, okay, I, I um, you know, walked. I was close enough to walk. Uh, to B&H and I walked and the store on the west side was open around you know, 9 and 10 in the morning and I bought this list of equipment came home um, <laughs> tried to make sense of what it was set it up and then I sort of took to the street and um, you know you saw posters of the missing come up you saw families with toothbrushes and hairbrushes and t-shirts and whatever have you uh, waiting in lines, long lines Mm -hmm. around the armory which is where whatever human remains uh, rescue workers were able to get out of the rubble were being taken. So they were sent, they were bringing in samples from homes of people who were missing for DNA Mm -hmm. um, matching, right? And these lines would go around the block. There were hospitals had posters, makeshift memorials came up. All this was happening. And so, you know, one sort of walked around and documented as much of this as one could. Mm -hmm. Took as many pictures as one could. Obviously, as an Indian journalist, I was looking for Indian faces. And then trying to work backwards and see, you know, who, what. So that was part of my uh, mandate. Um, And... So, and we had a, uh, we would book uh, satellite slots. I think it was Reuters. And uh, I would go up there with my tape. And it was quite strange because there was a couple of other journalists like me who happened to be visiting New York mm-hmm. uh, on vacation. Somebody from Australia, somebody from, I think, somewhere in Southeast Asia. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. And we were all kind of tasked with the same thing right go find your stories and then we would meet for about four or five days running we would meet in the Reuters office every evening and exchange our own stories of you know where we've gone who we've met what we've seen etc so that became like the way the work unfolded I had to carry proof of residence to go back um, to the apartment I was staying in because that was quote-unquote, below 14th Street. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, below 14th Street had been basically shut off for everyone except uh, first responders and residents. Back in New Delhi, newsrooms were wrapping up a normal Tuesday 6pm bulletin when the news of the attacks came rushing in, overwhelming any other news cycle for the next few days. 
and taking the lead in one of the biggest Hindi TV newsrooms in India was a young Sanjay Pakalia in his new job as editor of Z News. He recounts thoughts and the energy running through the newsroom as the images of the new scene and feed that they acquired started trickling in. बिल्कुल रूटीन डे था तब मैं जी न्यूज में हेड कर रहा था चैनल को मेरा नया नया जॉब था लेकिन एक बहुत लक वाली बात ये थी कि एग्जैक्टली उसी के एक दो हफ्ते पहले हम लोगों ने सीएनएन के साथ कंटेंट डील साइन की थी और ये पहली यूनिक डील थी जिसमें सीएनएन हमारे साथ आया था तब तक आज तक लॉन्च हो चुका था लोगों को याद होगा सो इट वॉज एब्सोलूटली रूटीन डे कवरिंग रूटीन स्टफ न्यूज रूम वॉज काइंड ऑफ एब्सोलूटली नॉर्मल बट सडनली वन ऑफ my senior colleagues he uh, noticed that something uh, abnormal is running on the feed room and then we uh, just looked at it uh, it took us few moments to even understand that what has happened but after that uh, the entire newsroom geared up to cover this and this was a huge advantage at that point in time because other channels had feeds from ap or reuters but cnn gave us a huge lead in that coverage of course it was tragic and traumatic and it really took few hours for us to comprehend ki ye ho kya gaya hai us waqt main on air karta tha lekin ye event itna bada tha कि मैं सीधे जाके एंकरिंग शुरू करूं ऐसा मुझे नहीं लगा और हमारी टीम के जितने सीनियर लोग थे और इस इंसिडेंट को समझना रिस्पांसिबिलिटी के साथ बताना पर एक बड़ी चीज जो हिट कर गई थी वो ये थी कि हम लोगों ने देखा कि कोई डेड बॉडी नहीं दिख रही है शुरू में कोई एक जगह एक आदमी ऊपर से जंप करता हुआ दिखलाई पड़ा उसके बाद इस तरह की कोई फुटेज वहां नहीं आए तब तक फिर थोड़ी सी ये अंडरस्टैंडिंग बनी कि इसके कवरेज में यू मीडिया किस तरह से ध्यान रख रहा है सीएनएन हमको किस तरह के फीड दे रहा है तो उधर से अगर कुछ हमको और डिस्टर्बिंग न्यूज मिल भी रही थी या कुछ इमेजेस मिल भी रही थी तो मेल के जरिए तो उसको हम लोगों ने यूज नहीं किया क्योंकि वो एक बड़ा इंस्ट्रक्टिव काम था कि ऐसी चीजों को सेंसिबली सेंसिटिवली कैसे कवर किया जाए क्योंकि आपको पता है कि उस वक्त और उसके बाद इंडिया में ब्लड गोर और ये सब दिखाना जो कि जनरली हमारे मतलब प्रोफेशनल टूल गाइड का पार्ट नहीं है उन चीजों को हम लोग वायलेट करते रहे हैं लेकिन दैट टाइम वी आर वेरी वेरी काइंड ऑफ कॉन्शियस अबाउट इट एंड द वे अमेरिकन टेलीविजन न्यूज covered the whole incident it was very instructive for us also and uh, when george bush came and he talked about that we will hunt them down so it was clear that they are treating this as terrorist attack but of course initial hours uh, uh, like i said american television was just going by the fact what they knew what they did not know they were not sensationalizing it at all it was absolutely somber atmosphere and because all such big disasters and tragedies are always uh, ironically so great moments for any television newsroom so the excitement and the 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 sense of uh incomprehensibility both were running together and the whole focus of the entire newsroom was to not to miss in terms of speed and clarity and i think it went on for uh, several days like that uh, that newsroom never slept at the highest political office in india the emotions were one of astonishment and calm according to sudhinder kulkarni who served as special aide to former prime minister atal bihari vajpayee and describes how the pmo took action soon after the news came in of you know it was yet another normal work day for all of us you know the entire world until the news hit us 
in the prime minister's office in my room in south block and uh, i very distinctly remember my television was on and there was breaking news and what i saw and what i heard was uh, simply unbelievable like everyone who saw it from anywhere in the world i was shell shocked the scenes of the attack especially on uh, the twin towers in new york were uh, horrific beyond imagination and immediately we in the prime minister's office uh, tried to get uh, as much information as possible not only from uh, you know television channels and uh, news uh, agencies but also from other government quarters including from the united states itself of course it was not easy because the united states itself had uh, been plunged into something that uh, they never believed would happen to their country and hence for quite some time there was no uh, news coming from there but as more and more uh, information started trickling in our first task as the communication team in the prime minister's office was to assist prime minister atal bihari vajpayee ji prepare a statement of condemnation of this uh, horrific barbaric terror attack and uh, beyond the statement of condemnation our prime minister vajpayee ji actively started contacting leaders around the world that uh, this is the time when the international community should come together in a spirit of solidarity and unity in 2002 when prime minister visited the united states again his first one of the very first engagements in new york i had accompanied him both in 2000 and 2002 the very one of the very first engagements was to visit ground zero the site of the twin towers and uh, pay our homage to all the innocent people who had fallen victims to the 9/11 terror attacks as we recall that day 20 years later it is important for all of us to know including americans that uh, this so called war on terror was highly counterproductive and it has hurt america itself both its global image as well as its global leadership so as they commemorate 9/11 20 years later all of us should introspect whether this is the right way to fight terrorism Even after 20 years, Maya Mirchandani still holds herself from viewing visuals of the towers, and she speaks of how it impacted her as a journalist. So, um, maybe 20 months or 21 months before 9/11, I had survived an LTT suicide blast in Colombo. It, it, I mean, it was in in during the elections, and yeah. so it was not. I, you know, it was not my first time in the midst of a terror attack, as bizarre as that sounds. But I think two things, two things happen. One is we have an ability to kind of block, right? In mm-hmm. the immediate moment, you block, yeah. and people block grief, people block fear, they block whatever, just because it's like a fight or flight um, instinct that kicks in, right? Mm. So in that moment, you are dealing with your your survival instinct is kicking in. I think the processing and whatever happened or happens much later. I mean, grief is very private. So when people are standing at the armory with a toothbrush, I wasn't about to stick my microphone and my camera in their face. 
I didn't do it. I stood back. I sort of didn't take out my camera for a while. I spoke to a few people. I figured out who was not. You know, very often people also sent a friend, right? They couldn't deal with it themselves, so they sent a friend. So I found people like that who were themselves a little detached from the grief, who would possibly come and give interviews, or then survivor stories, yeah. right? You found the yeah. survivors. Um, and you talked about them, and you talked to them. Uh, but I mean, to this day, I was watching the Netflix. I, yeah. <laughs> I put it on. I'm still not finished watching it. The docu series on uh, on nine eleven and its aftermath. I couldn't watch the first episode. Mm. I cannot. Uh, I I don't like to. I mean, I have still photographs yeah. because I have still photographs, and I can look at a still photograph. Yeah. I cannot. I am not comfortable watching video of the attack. Even today, just as I am not comfortable watching video of the LTT attack, um, even today, which yeah. plays out on NDTV, yeah. even today. So I think, I mean, you know, I, I don't, I'm not comfortable with, uh, with that, uh, mm. you know. Nine Eleven was a punctuating moment in human history. but it has also redefined almost every aspect of humanity human rights security policy terrorism travel health and religion after 20 years the tragic events of 11 september 2001 continue to transform the world the us actions in the aftermath of 911 set the world in a new order and we are still witnessing its impact in afghanistan as afghanis fight for their basic humanitarian rights If you like listening to this episode please subscribe to the big story for episodic updates we are available on apple google podcast spotify geo7 and most of the other popular podcast streaming platforms for other podcasts please log on to the quint website and for any feedback please shoot an email to podcast@thequint.com Thanks for listening. Log on to the Quint's website and check out our other podcasts.